Good evening. Whoa, that's loud. Come on, Langley, get in the game. Good evening. I'm going to whisper for just a minute here. I hope we've all had a great day. Thank you so much for allowing me to be here with you tonight. I look forward to this opportunity. Every time I get to come together with you and worship with you, uh, I really am thankful and grateful for this. I know that we've had a great day today here at this congregation just with the Friends Day. Uh, I just want to kind of tell you a little bit of a story about Friends Day and the importance of it. Sometimes we might just kind of overlook something like this. It's just kind of a, one of those things. But in 2007, David Shannon and Dennis Buchanan invited me to Friends Day here at Mount Juliet. And for some reason or another, I just fell in love with all of you. I see, I look out here tonight, I see several people that I count as friends, and I'm just thankful for those type of opportunities, and I hope that whenever we have these type of opportunities, you take advantage of that and invite people, because it really can make a difference in someone's life. I know that you have Friends Day, you have Family Day, and there's a lot of other events that you can do as far as inviting. So please, whenever you get that chance, take advantage of that. If you would like to turn in your Bibles to Lamentations, the third chapter. Lamentations, the third chapter. We're going to look at the passage of 22, 23, and 24 of Lamentations, the third chapter. That's where we're going to be kind of starting from. We're going to kind of work a lesson from that and just kind of move forward. First, before we do that, I want to read you a story. This is a true story. This is not a preacher's story, so this is a true story. And this story is called, When Hope Was Lost. During the Second World War, the U.S. Army was forced to retreat from the Philippines. Some of their soldiers were left behind and became prisoners of the Japanese. The men called themselves ghosts, souls unseen by their nation. And on the infamous Bataan Death March were forced to walk over 70 miles, knowing that those who were slow or weak would be bayoneted by their captors or die from dysentery and lack of water. Those who made it through the march spent the next three years in awful, terrible prisoner of war camp. <clears throat> by early 1945, only 513 men were still alive at the Kamatawan prison camp, but they were giving up hope. The U.S. Army was on its way back, but the POWs had heard the frightening news that prisoners were being executed as the Japanese retreated from the advancing U.S. Army. Their wavering hope was, however, met by one of the most magnificent rescues of wartime history. In an astonishing feat, 120 U.S. Army soldiers and 200 Filipino guerrillas outflanked 8,000 Japanese soldiers to rescue the POWs. Alvy Robbins was one of the rescuers. He described how he found a prisoner muttering in a dark corner <clears throat> of his barracks, tears streaming down his face, saying, I thought we'd been forgotten. No, you're not forgotten, Robbins said softly. You're heroes. We've come for you. You know, often in life, we might feel like that we've been forgotten. Maybe God has forgotten us. Maybe he's, maybe we feel like that he's turned our back, his back on us to hurtful times or challenging times. 
Sometime or another in our life, we'll go through those. That's just part of it. Everything is not always just easy. There's times of challenge. There's times of struggle. What I want us to think about tonight is the word hope, how we read it in Scripture. How us as Christians are supposed to have it. And how people that are using the word hope in the everyday run-of-the-mill term, how they see a different hope in a Christian. How can us as Christians, how can we as Christians, how can we as Christians shed light with people that don't understand the hope that God can give? It's very, very important for us to do. If you have your Bibles open to Lamentations, the third chapter, I want to read this passage, and I just want to kind of, I want to look at a few things before we continue to move forward. In Lamentations, the third chapter, verse 22, 23, and 24, before we read this, I just want to kind of mention that Lamentations is, is grief, is sorrow. And, and uh, Jeremiah, who is the, the writer of this book, he was known as the weeping prophet. And then all before you read this passage that we know, probably all of us know very well, he's talking about times that his heart is, is, is aching. What is he aching about? The desolation of Judah and the destruction of Jerusalem in, in 586 B.C. And right here in the third chapter, in verse 22, through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed because His compassion fail not. They are new every morning Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I hope in Him. That's beautiful to think about. We hope in Him. Listen. I want us to compare just a minute here. The, the worldly, everyday, run-of-the-mill hope that people that are not Christians use. And then, you, and I mean, we use it even today as Christians, but we know that there is a deeper side of this hope. Now, I'm not going to ask anybody to raise their hand because I'm sure it's probably about 100% other than me. But if I ask right now, can anybody use a rain at their house to get their yard growing? Most people in here would probably raise their hand. I'm going to be like, no, I don't want any rain. I want my yard to stay dead. I don't want to mow it anymore. But most of us would probably be like, yes. I could use some rain. Somebody might be like, well, I hope it rains this week because it didn't rain last week. You know what's in that? You know what's in that, in that sentence right there? What's in that sentence is uncertainty. You don't know whether or not it's going to rain even when the, the meteorologists come on TV and they're like, well, it's got a 30% chance of rain today or it's got a 50% chance of rain today. You still, you just don't know. When you use that everyday run-of-the-mill hope, it's full of uncertainty. That's the difference with God being our hope and having that Christian hope and then having the everyday hope. That's the difference that we as Christians can make in somebody else's lives is the fact that we can shed light on them when nobody else can, when they feel like they are on their deepest, darkest times, we can shed that light on them to bring them out. It's awesome to think about that today as it being Friends Day. Maybe we have friends that aren't Christians. 
Maybe they've had tough times in their life. What did we do to help them? Did we shed that hope on them? Did we show them through Scripture that God's hope, the hope that we have in that, it's not based on uncertainty. It's based on promise. It's based on guaranteed facts. The other hope is a desire. It's wishful thinking, like I'd like to get some rain in my house. It's wishful thinking. Let's take a look at the passage here. Through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed, but his com- because His fa- compassions fail not, they are new every morning. That's, that should be a comforting thought to all of us. To think that every day God is compassionate with us. And His mercies continue to be poured out on us. We're undeserving of all the good things that we have. We might feel like we're entitled to it, but we're not. We're undeserving of all the good things that we have, and He allows us to have that. His compassion continues to fall on us every day. His faithfulness, it never ends. His faithfulness is pure. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. I don't think about that. When we go out to eat, we ate supper, we ate lunch today. We're going to eat supper tonight if we haven't already. Our portion, is it going to be enough to fill us? We all should be in agreement to say, yes, God is my portion. I cannot be more full than when God is filling me. God is filling me. I am full of God. I am full of this. I'm I'm thankful for his compassion. I know his faithfulness. And then we think about the hope that we can have in Him. That beautiful hope. You know, there's no word, probably in the English language, that is more devastating or no verbiage. They can say, there's no hope. Whether you're in, like they were right there in in the military, in, in prisoner of war camp, or whether somebody's laying inside of a, a sick bed somewhere and somebody says, there's no hope. That's devastating to think about. Us as Christians cannot, we, we, we're saying we have all the hope. No matter what's going on in our life, we still have the hope. We're faced, we're faced oftentimes with challenges. We're faced oftentimes with maybe a job loss, or maybe we're looking for a job, and the job that we're at right now is just not going well. Maybe we're having some kind of illness in our life and we're, we're sick. Maybe a loved one is sick. Maybe it's somebody that we work with that has the same type of problem in their life. Us as Christians, we should be walking around with smiles all the time, pretty much. Just be like, we are full of so much joy because God brings us this hope. It's based on promise. It's based on the fact that we can live an eternal life with Him in heaven. And that's not just wishful thinking. That's something that's based on a promise. And I want us to look at that here in just a moment. God cannot lie. When God promises something, we know that it's, you could, I always heard my dad say, you can take that to the bank. You can take it to the bank. It's guaranteed. So, 
In verse 24, the Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I hope in him. If you go back, and I'll challenge you, because a lot of times in the book of Lamentations, we just, we just, we read this passage a lot. I know that probably a lot of us have studied through this book, but you go back and you read what leads up to this point. What Jeremiah is saying here. How, how his heart was broke. You go back and you can just read it. Let's just read the, the 17, 18, 19, 20, 21 up until this point, and let's just kind of see what he's saying here. You have moved my soul far from peace. I have forgotten prosperity, and I, and I said, my strength and my hope have perished from God. Remember my affliction in roaming, the wormwood in the gall. My soul still remembers and sinks within me. This I recall to my mind. Therefore, I have hope. No matter what I'm going through, no matter as a Christian, we, can still, we still have the hope of eternal life. And that is a promise. That's not just a, that's not a wishful thinking. We've got to keep that in mind here. That's not wishful thinking. That's promised. As Christians, we live a life that's godly. We live a life that's according to Christ. That's promised. Let's take a look at another passage here. In Titus, the first chapter. Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter 1. I'm just going to kind of I want to read, it's the second and third verse of where I'm wanting to get to, but I'm going to read verse 1 just kind of as an introduction to this book. Paul, that's the writer, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledgement of the truth which accords with godliness. Now I want us to notice in verse 2 and 3 what he says here. In hope of eternal life which God who cannot lie, promised before time began, but has in due time manifested or revealed his word through preaching, which was committed to me according to the commandment of God our Savior. He uses that word right there, that, that wording, God our Savior, Jesus Christ our Savior, several times in this one book. It's amazing to think about, how do we know this promise? It's from God our Savior. It's from Jesus Christ our Savior. He is our Lord and Savior. That's how we are going to be saved. There's no other way. He promised that all this from, from when time began. I love in verse 2, it says, in hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised. How many times have somebody in our life promised us something? And it didn't come true. I'd say that it's probably 100%. We could all probably raise our hand on that and be like, yeah, that's happened in my life sometime or another. I want to think about something here, and this is not has anything to do with politics or anything like that, but I, just, I got to thinking about this. And I was like, I wonder how many times just during in my lifetime, and I was born in 1982, how many times in my lifetime a president, candidate, has used the word hope for a slogan. Mike Huckabee had a slogan that said, from hope to higher ground. In 2008, Barack Obama had just the word hope for a slogan during his general election. 
1988, Jesse Jackson's slogan was, let's keep hope alive. Of course, we also know during that same year, this has nothing to do with hope, but thinking about somebody that says something, George Bush said, read my lips, no new taxes. And we know that that didn't work out. So, can we trust what God says? When God says he cannot lie, we know that he cannot lie. We know that that's promised. But then, notice this even further. In hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began, but has in due time revealed his word through preaching according to the commandment of God our Savior. So how are we supposed to know about eternal life? It's through his word. Right here, it just says that. It's through his word how we know and how we see about God our Savior. So how can we teach, how can people know about how to be saved if we don't open God's word and know about these promises and know about this hope and this hope of heaven? That is something right there that should make every one of us smile every time that comes across our lips, the hope of heaven, because that's not wishful thinking. It's promised. He went to prepare a place for us. If he goes, he's going to come back. That's awesome to think about. It gives me chill bumps right now just thinking about that. <clears throat> so we see there that God cannot lie. He promised about an everlasting, eternal. And it's through His Word that we, re that we realize that. And through His Word, we realize God our Savior, Jesus Christ. Come over with me to Hebrews, the sixth chapter. Hebrews, the sixth chapter. I'm just going to kind of hop around here just for just a second, and then we're going to kind of we're going to look at some, some other things here. Hebrews, the sixth chapter, in verse 11. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance, right, a full assurance of hope until the end, that you do not become sluggish, but in, imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Assurance. That's a word that you plug in to hope. It's like trust. Assurance and trust is tied to this biblical hope that Christians have. If you say something like, I assure you. If, somebody was, if I was in a conversation with somebody and they, if they told me that I assure you that that happened, I'm going to be like, I believe you. You assured me. That's almost like a guarantee. God's using that in the same way as saying, I can guarantee you that what I'm saying right now is, will happen. I'm promising you that all that I've said before about my promises, about my eternal life, about a home in heaven with me, that can be attained. I've done my part. I sent the, I've sent my son to die for you. 
What are you going to do? Verse 13. For when God made a promise to Abraham, he could swear by no one greater. He swore by himself, saying, Surely, blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply you. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men indeed swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is for them an end of all dispute, though God determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable things, immutable there, immutable there is just unchangeable, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. Unchangeable. We just read a minute, we just sang a song a minute ago, my hope is built in nothing less. It talked about unchangeable. God, we're not going to change God. And we ought to be thankful that we can't change God. People try to change God to fit whatever it is they want in their life. However they want to be. Well, I, you know, I really wouldn't mind going, but I want it to be more fitting for me. doesn't work like that. God doesn't change. God's never going to change. That is a good thing because we can have hope in what He says. Humans change all the time. When somebody tells us something, and we're like, oh yeah, and such a much amount of time, you could say, okay, well maybe in two years that will be the same. We don't ever know. We know in a hundred years from now it's going to be the same. We know in a thousand years from now it's going to be the same. Just like it was a thousand years ago. It was the same. God was the same a thousand years ago just like He is today. It's, he's never going to change. That's awesome. That's like a, like a footer for a building. That footer is going to be there. If you pull that footer, it's, that's the stability. It's not going to sink down and be like, oh, well, you know, it's sank. It, it, it settled. Nope. God's not going to settle. God's not going to change. God's always going to be full of the promises that He gave. And we can take those and we can be guaranteed about them. I love it in, in verse 18 and 19. He said, by two immutable things in which it is impossible. It is impossible. That word is a strong word. Impossible? It's impossible for God to lie. We might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. The gospel brings us this hope. The death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. He did live here on a perfect, a perfect life. He did die at the hands of men that don't deserve anything. He was buried. In three days, He resurrected. That is a hope that we have, and it is a refuge for us. Notice 19. In this hope, we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, 
and which enters the presence behind the veil. Remember that veil that was torn? That veil of the, you go behind that veil, it was the most holy of holies. That was supposed to be like an image. That was supposed to be like an image of heaven. That's where God was. And then that, that veil was torn when Jesus was crucified. And it allowed what? Made all of us on that same playing field. There was no, we have to let the priest go back there. Now we all are tamed. It's amazing to think about how this anchor of hope, its promises, its assurance that we can have in God. Us here today. What do we put so much trust in? What do we put assurance in? What do we put our hope in? It's a sad thing to think about we think about suicides and how people that commit suicides are very, very depressed people. They, at that point in their life, have lost every bit of hope. Us as Christians, they have, they have no promises. Th those people, they feel like they have nothing. They feel like they're they are empty at that point. They have nothing. Us here, the Lord is my portion and we are full of this hope, of these promises, of this assurance that God said, I'm going to give you exactly what I said I would. I feel like that maybe I'm just not communicating this good enough to understand. Maybe it's in my mind, but that's not coming out here. But when I think about this hope as an anchor of the soul, and both sure and steadfast, which enters the presence behind the veil. You know, there's going to be a day. There's going to be a time in our life that we're all going to pass away. That should be a sobering thought for every one of us. Nobody here gets out. Everybody here has a time. There's going to be a the ones that are Christians, the ones that have this hope and these promises of eternal life that God gave and tell, tells us about, He tells us about all this hope that we can have. And this hope is it's guaranteed. It's not wishful thinking. One day, we're going to see our rescuer. We're going to see him face to face. And we're going to think to ourselves, I thought I was forgotten. And he's going to tell us, no, you're not forgotten. And he's going to, we're going to hear his words to us, I've come for you. The people that are not Christians, that don't have this type of hope, I feel sorry for. And I feel like that it's our obligation as every person in here tonight to go out and to help somebody who feels like they don't have this hope, to give them that hope. To let them understand that this hope that we have as Christians is built on promises, not empty promises, not just a wishful thinking or a desire that we don't know the ins or the outs of it or it's uncertainty. Us as Christians should be 
full of God. He, should, he is our portion. He is our portion. He is the one that propels us. This hope is what generates our energy and it helps us propel all the way through the week and all the way through the day when times of struggle and challenges come into our life. We're like, I'm not giving up because I know what my biggest hope is. I know what I'm aiming toward. I'm not aiming towards anything here that's fleshly. And we do that a lot of times. We, that's where we seem, seem to be weak. Something starts to kind of crumble in our life that is a fleshly matter, and we just, we start getting down on ourselves. We start, man, I'm losing all hope. Why? We're not, li we're not living here for this hope of the, of the fleshly things. We're living here for this hope of eternal life. And God promises it, that we can have it. That's beautiful. It's amazing. It's awesome to think about God making a promise to us. And He can't lie. We know for a guaranteed fact that what He says is 100% true. We know that this right here is 100% true. We know that. Maybe there's somebody here tonight that doesn't have this hope. Maybe they're not living the Christian life and they're looking for something. They're looking for something to generate them. I need some hope. I'm, I'm struggling. What can we do as a group of people of the Lord's church, of Christians that are striving to live Christ-like in a world that doesn't seem to care a whole lot of times? What can we do to help others? have this same style of hope. We, we, we claim to be the light. Well, the light just, just doesn't sit in one spot. A light projects out. It goes out. It, it, it touches other things. That's what we're to do. We're to be touching those people. We're to be showing this hope. Talking about this hope. I want us as the Mount Juliet congregation, as every congregation that's here in Mount, that's here in Mount Juliet, it's all across the world to be touching others with this hope, with this ray of hope. And they will have, people will see it and they will notice it. It's not going to go unnoticed. And hopefully it will be something that will Help them in their life as well. If we can do anything for you tonight, if you want to be baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins, there's people here that would love to help you, assist you with that, and would love to help you get started in that walk. If we can do anything for you, come now as we stand and as we sing.